Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yo, what up? This is DJ Newmark, a.k.a. Uncle New. From Jurassic 5. And you're checking out the library with my main man, Tim Onicole, on www.rapstation.com. founder of New York's longest-running hip-hop radio show, WBAI's Underground Railroad. He's the founder of the video blog, No Doctrine. He's Jay Smooth. Thank you, Jay, for joining me in the library of Tim Onikel on rapstation.com. Good to be on. I listen to this show all the time because uh, I'm in the radio station when it's on. But it's also <laughs> a good show. Uh, you can turn it down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, your radio show, Underground Railroad, started in 1991. What keeps you wanting to do the show and how do you prepare weekly for each show? Good question. Well, I mean, hip-hop has been the center of my life for as long as I've been able to formulate thoughts about what the center of my life is. Um, I mean, you know, I'm old enough that I have dim memories of a world before hip-hop, but all my formative years, hip-hop was formulating while I was growing up, and I was blessed to be in New York at that time. And, you know, I was a real introverted, isolated kid. And hip-hop gave me a place in the world. And, you know, I've been blessed to have a lifelong relationship with it where I get to go out in the world and represent hip-hop the way I grew up with it and uh, be a part of this community and contribute to it. So having a passion for hip-hop is never a challenge for me. I, you know, I'm always committed to uh, representing it and cultivating it. And the radio show is, for me, is basically... It's our weekly church service where we come together, my friends and I, and just celebrate this music and culture that we love so much. It, it, it replenishes our spirit for the week. So it's, you know, I'm not one of those people who has angst about whether I still love hip hop or am I gonna walk away. Like I'm, I'm hip hop for life. And 24 years is a long time to do a radio show, but when you are bringing other people in, when, when you're bringing people into this micro community that you create with something like a radio show, it allows the fresh energy to keep coming in as you bring in new team members and new family. You know, I used to do everything myself back in the early 90s on the show, but nowadays I have a whole squad of DJs and other folks that come in. So bringing in new people and having that community spirit within your own representation, I think, can keep it fresh. So, you know, just just like Chuck is doing with Angie Don't Stop, he has all these crews that do these different segments, and that, that keeps the energy fresh when you by yourself. Yeah filling the whole two hours might be a bit much. And that, you know, and that's what hip-hop's always been about. It's about giving you these spaces to create your own community. Obviously, with the radio show, there's only... It's audio, right? So there's only... It's really hard to represent all the elements uh, of hip-hop culture. But 
if you were to pick one element to represent, or what you would want to represent hip-hop culture, do you have one in mind, or are you happy with how it's represented now? One that I'd rather see get more yeah, shine? Get, get more shine, yeah. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think there's always going to be a 2 or 3% of whichever hip-hop element that's visible to the mainstream, and then the other 97%, I'm not good at math, would be cultivated on that community level I'm talking about and passed down. And, you know, obviously, mainstream hip-hop music is easily visible and identifiable. Um, graffiti art, uh, which purists will just call writing, um, that influence is visible all over the advertising world, the modern mm -hmm. art world, everywhere you look. You know, even though it'll never be called that because it has this sort of ghetto stigma attached to it still. Of course, you can see the influence of b-boying mm -hmm. um, all over people's dance and physical expression all throughout the culture. Um, but on a community level, on a grassroots level, there's so much. I mean, I, I uh, taught, I did a teaching artist thing out in the South Bronx a few years ago and uh, with these eighth graders. And, you know, I was able to see that. A whole bunch of them still have their little black books where they're writing tags for oh, nice. each other and cultivating this tradition in a way I would have never known about if I didn't go there and see it for myself. And I was able to bring in uh, Tracy 168 to come and work with them and talk about his experiences. So I think that, I mean, there's always some subjectivity in, in how you define what's true or not in hip hop, but uh, whatever's true for you, I think you can cultivate that within each of the elements um, yourself. Like, I don't think you need to wait for the mainstream to validate anything. Right. Um, I just want to go back to your radio show. You probably get, I imagine you get tons and tons of uh, people ask you to play their music. What is your criteria for playing a song? Like, I mean, do you, like, what, if you were to take lyrics, beat, flow, like what, what kind of, what, what has to stand out first for you to kind of want to play their song? Well, nowadays, I have a crew of DJs that comes in, and I basically leave it up to them to decide what they want to play within certain parameters. I mean, if the content goes against what I believe in, I try and get them right. to at least flip some words backwards. But otherwise, I leave it up to them. I definitely still get lots of people asking me to listen to their stuff. You know, it happens in the form of tweets mm -hmm. and links to a SoundCloud nowadays where people used to walk up to you with a pair of headphones right. and ask you to listen to their tape right there while they stand there and watch you listen, which was the most awkward thing <laughs> you should ever have to do. I'm glad that era has come and gone. But, I mean, there's a few stages of listening for me. Like, the first test is the beat. Nine out of ten, the beat is whack immediately. Right. <laughs> then nine out of ten, they make it past that stage as soon as the voice comes in. There's no flow. They don't know how to use their voice as an instrument. Mm -hmm. So that's you've already winnowed out 99 out of 100 at that point. So if you make it past the first 30 seconds and it's not just... Like you either have a sense of aesthetics and an instinct for what works and what doesn't or you don't. And it's usually pretty obvious. Like honestly, back in the days when we used to get physical demo tapes or CDs, we would judge just from the font that they used. <laughs> on the disc because you can see if someone has a sense of aesthetics or right, not right. that's going to shine through in this object that they give you even before you listen to the music you know i would still listen just to be fair but most of the time you can tell like someone either gets how art works and connects or they don't right, so right. it's usually a pretty quick process of filtering through you you, you touched on something about uh, 
you know, your your DJs, now you have DJs that are able to, to pick the playlist and you try to, if it's something you don't really agree with, you try to get them to either reverse the curse or, you know, even, I guess. Yeah, and I, I don't care so much about curses necessarily. Like that, to me, that's just kind of an arbitrary distinction that certain words are taboo. Right. But I care more about the ideas being expressed. Right. Like if it's anti-woman or just hyper-materialistic or just really glorifying violence and really narrow-minded machismo for his own sake. Like, I prefer not hearing that stuff as opposed to curse words. I don't care about that right. so much. Right, so uh, so, I, so that's that's kind of, for me, that's like the beauty about I Feel Hip Hop is that it forces people to deal with their contradictions, uh, whether they're political contradictions or uh, social contradictions. As, as someone who is progressive, how, how, how have you dealt with uh, kind of the contradictions in in hip hop, or how you know, or something like, let's say you like the flow, great voice, flow, wordplay is amazing, but lyric, the content is the something you don't agree with. How, how do you kind of deal with that battle? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily claim any labels like progressive for myself. I just try to do the right thing and be aware of my right. place in the world on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's not for me to judge how successful I am, but that's always. This sort of uh, the tightrope walk of the adult hip hopper um, is having this bond with a community and an art form that connects you to it for life, but having things going on and ideas being expressed that you vehemently disagree with. And that, you know, that's a lesson I apply to a lot of the work I do now, doing political commentary, speaking outside of a hip hop space. So much of the debate that goes on, whether it's on TV or on Twitter, is this really all or nothing antagonistic conversation where either I agree with you or I'm totally cutting off from your humanity as a person. Right. And I feel like a more productive way of engaging is challenging each other and having real honest conversations in a way that maintains an awareness of our human connection to each other. And that's something you have to learn how to do if you're going to remain within the hip-hop community. you got to learn how to challenge people for saying things that you're totally against while still honoring that bond you have as a fellow hip-hopper and not just saying, you know what, I just don't respect you, I'm never talking to you again. Like, you got to figure out how to say, you know, the way you talk about women, that anti-gay stuff you're kicking right now, I, I can't rock with that at all, but say it in a way that's respectful and is a way you would speak to family about something you disagree with. I want to go back, I just really, I want to go back to um, your radio show and how, you know, it started in 1991. Do you remember the first song you played and... If you were to go back, would you want to have played something different at the time? Uh, I do remember the first song I ever played on the radio show, February 3rd, 1991. I started off the first show with Friendly Game of Baseball by Main Source, nice. which is an incredible song. Um, the whole song is an extended metaphor about police brutality told through uh, baseball metaphor, basically. Still one of my favorite songs. I definitely don't regret uh, starting off with that. I think that really set the tone for uh, what I wanted my show to represent, what, what I wanted to share with the world about how beautiful and how powerfully expressive hip-hop could be. I mean, it's just great musically, first of all, and so creative and such a strong statement from Large Professor. Shout out to Large Professor. And yeah, I don't know. I don't regret playing that at all. That's, if, if it was something I regretted, I, I might say I don't remember what I was first, but that's, 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 that's a classic track that speaks so well to what's going on in 2015. Right, I mean, did you imagine that? I mean, 1991, did you imagine how still relevant 
a track about police brutality would be in 2015? I mean, I think that's been a constant reality for black and brown people since before I was born. And uh, I think each generation sort of has their wake up call where they get introduced to that reality. And uh, back in the 80s, we had Michael Stewart, Eleanor Bumpers, um, cases like that that woke us up to it. Um, this generation has had Michael Brown, Oscar Grant, and so many other names, Freddie Gray, Jameer Rice. So, you know, it's a cycle that repeats. And I can't say it's surprising, but it's heartening to see how each generation finds a new way to rise up and speak against it. You know, and people will debate how much hip-hop music has been present in that rebellion or that rising up this time around. But in general, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see how strongly this generation has uh, stepped up and, and, and picked up that baton. You've used the ill doctor in your video blog to talk about police brutality, you talk about a lot of issues, talk about Bernie Sanders, talk about the Confederate flag. Uh, is the video, is something like the video blog, is that kind of help you personally make sense of it all? Uh, like writing the script prior to recording, recording it, then kind of viewing it back? Or does it already make sense to you in a weird way? And then it's just you trying to help express and help try to help make sense for others? Well, nothing ever makes sense <laughs> to me in this world. And I, uh, I, I, I don't write a script. I actually, I just turn on the camera and start talking it out into the camera and compose it that way. Not that I'm just freestyling off the top. I mean, I compose it real meticulously, but I do it by talking out a few sentences, then watching it back, uh, figuring out what I want the wording to be and sort of sculpting it in the camera as I go along. And I think that process definitely helps me fine tune what my perspective is on that issue and it's usually something I'm really outraged by that I'm watching on the news when I'm just trying to crush that rage into a rage diamond and just articulate as clearly as I can what seems so wrong about what's going on right now. And the hope is that there's a lot of other people sitting at home watching what's going on and they feel the same way and this will give them something they can just link to when they're having their conversations about it, they can say, here, this is what I'm talking about. Mm. And once I finish the video, I get to learn so much more by putting that out, putting it out into the world and seeing how people react to it. Um, sort of a digital replication of the call and response that you do at a hip hop show and uh, you know, have been doing in black African culture for centuries before that. You know, that back and forth helps me learn so much as people add their perspective onto my perspective and I get to see how they react and learn from that. Like it's, it helps us get a little closer, helps me get a little closer to feeling like something out here makes sense um, by sort of putting the video out as part of a dialogue with everyone who watches it. Was there a particular video, especially this year, that kind of was hard to record just because of the subject matter? I mean, I, I watched the, uh, the Sandra Bland one and the last line with, uh, you know, name, every name we'll never know kind of, I felt like, just like really tugged at the, you know, like really almost brought, like brought tears in my eyes because you, there are going to be names we don't know. I mean, so was there a particular video that because of the subject matter was just, you know, too personal and too tough to record? For the video to communicate effectively, I have to sort of project a certain amount of emotion and that might be kind of like acting to some extent sometimes. I mean, I'm showing what I really feel, but I'm summoning that up to make sure it communicates. But sometimes 
I'll be commenting on something that just happened and the anger that I'm trying to summon up for the sake of the video will turn into real anger the more I talk about it right. and I'll be getting pretty intensely emotional while I'm filming and that Sandra Bland video is definitely one of them I had actually just gotten the news that a good friend of mine's son had been killed right at the time I was doing that video about the deaths of Sandra Bland and Sam DuBose. Not by police, but you know, those killings in the community are still, in a larger sense, the product of disenfranchisement right. um, and discrimination and being treated as if our lives don't matter as much, even if it's not directly. Uh, done by an authority figure. So that was weighing very heavily on my mind and I was really forcing myself to film, but it was, I guess, a useful conduit to be able to channel that into expressing something uh, that touches on those same issues. So it's, I mean, it definitely can be cathartic and sort of therapeutic to work things out that way. Is there a moment that something that you just can't do it? Or, I mean, you said you force yourself, but why force yourself to do it um, besides being therapeutic? Like, I mean, What's your mission overall with the video? I feel like I've been very blessed to have this public voice that hip hop gave me. You know, it's something that might be easy to take for granted in this age where everyone automatically has some public voice on the internet. But being able to run your mouth and have thousands of people care about what you say is a privilege you shouldn't take for granted. And I, I feel like people who have that and use it just to yap about nothing, I don't understand if, if you have that opportunity and you're not using it to talk about things that matter and add more love to the world, I don't, I don't understand what you think life is about. Mm. So I want, as long as I have this blessing of being able to be a part of the public conversation, I want to use it as much as I can, knowing that I can represent for other people out there who feel the same way. I can represent for all the hip hoppers who uh, built this pedestal I'm standing on. You know, I want to, even if I feel like I don't want to show up, put my face out on the internet I'm gonna to push to go out there and do it because uh, you know I've been given this blessing to be a part of the conversation and I want to make the most out of it not just for myself but for everyone that I'm trying to represent on your website illdoctrine.com uh, things that have been said about you is he's a genius Rachel Maddow <laughs> the best hip-hop conversation Chuck D what and the many obviously a lot more they're not what, all that positive no, well you're right so what's what's the best thing that you think have been said about you but also What's the worst thing and what was kind of the most, I guess, surprising thing? Yeah, I, you know, you get a lot of very, very flattering feedback, you know, a lot of great validation. You know, having someone like Chuck or I ran into Lars Professor recently and he was talking about how much he loved the last video. It was funny because I, I saw Lars Professor last year at one of the park jams and he said, hey, what's up, Jay? And I thought I imagined it. <laughs> So I was like, why, why does Lars Professor know my name? Then he came up to me again and was like, oh, Jay, I love the, the video about Harry and Chuck. I was like, wow, he actually knows who I am and appreciates my work. And that means so much to me because that's, you know, he's one of my inspirations. Right. First artist I ever played on my radio show 25 years ago. So things like that, I try to keep in mind that as long as the people who inspired me are watching and sort of the community I come from, if those people are watching, I try to remember that and not take to heart random comments on YouTube about uh, my hairline or my teeth right, <laughs> or, right, or whatever right. silly racist comments they might have about me. Like it's, it, when you're first starting out doing something, it's easy for negative comments to just break down your self-esteem and make you not want to do it. But uh, when you're lucky enough to get a lot of validation and positive feedback, I think it helps to 
helps to keep it in perspective that you're out there representing the people who get what you're doing. Right, especially I imagine as someone who, you know, is like a like a was a was a tape or a cassette tape technically, right? Like you know, like a large professor, right, or a, right. a CD, and then he's coming up to you in the park. Right, and it's not just about you know well-known people. I mean, just having regular folks walk up to me, you know, having teachers tell me that they use my videos in their classroom, you know, having people tell me uh, they came out of the closet to their parents and my videos around that topic sort of help them figure out how to approach the conversation. Um, I mean, just things like that. As someone who's not really a natural performer or self-promoter, I mean, I think that's why I've been in radio so long because I don't have to show my face. Right. I can just uh, I can just put my voice out there, play a bunch of music and connect that way. But yeah, what what was the question? How much people like me? <laughs> you want to keep it in perspective and not like you got to remain critical of your own work and not just uh, not get so caught up in the validation and recognition that you lose track of why you were doing these things when nobody was listening and nobody was watching. Who critiques your work before it goes out? I mean, for not like you're not a, not like the bo your boss or anything, but like mm -hmm. for you, how do you know when a video is perfect? I, well, it was never perfect, of course. But or, or, or I, uh, how do you know when, when it's ready? I definitely to go? like I go through a pretty rigorous self-editing process because you know I'm usually critiquing somebody out there. I'm disagreeing with somebody's politics, something like that. So I always want to be fair to the person I'm criticizing. So I watch it back and think now was any of this a little too far overboard is that a personal attack instead of attacking their ideas and I try to figure out someone who's on the other side of the fence what are the loose strings in my argument that they're gonna pull at and then I try to get rid of those loose strings beforehand and I try to see whatever constituencies I'm representing and speaking for am I speaking properly on their behalf am I using language that they would feel like is respectful am I being too presumptuous like if I'm if I'm making a video about sexism Am I uh, defining things that a man shouldn't presume to define? Right. Talking about things that happen to women. Like, there's a lot of things from spending so long arguing with people on the internet and reading other people's perspectives on the internet. You sort of learn, you can learn from other people's mistakes as well as your own and sort of check off a checklist of things I know I want to get right before I put this out there. Right. Um, so I definitely, that's, that's why making the videos is so exhausting because I have to be the, the, the writer, the editor, and Sort of and the host. And edit, yeah, sort of edit the content for myself and figure out if uh, everything is just how it should be. So what's next for you? You have to do video, you do radio, you do lectures. What else do you have to do? <laughs> if you're setting me up to promote my upcoming podcast, I will do that. Sure. <laughs> I'm definitely going to start a podcast soon. I'm looking forward to having conversations with other people. I feel like podcasting is a space where you can really dig in the thoughts a little more deeply. I mean, I've been making videos for a while, um, as well as doing the radio show, and you can see the difference between those two forms. You know, radio and podcasting similarly is something that still in 2015, people will sit with it for a yeah. while, and you'll, they'll listen for a half hour while they drive around, or listen for an hour while they clean the house, where everything else in the media is moving towards smaller and smaller pieces of expression. When I started making videos in 2007, the challenge was, how do I express a worthwhile idea with only three or four minutes? Nowadays, three or four minutes is an eternity. If you're not putting it in a 15-second Instagram, 
nobody's really checking right, for right. you. So, and I don't, I don't feel like I want to compete on that playing field. And I, I feel like podcasting is, is still a space, just like radio, where you can sit for a half hour and ask questions instead of acting like you know all the answers and just have a real conversation. So I'm hoping to start a podcast real soon. You can look out for that. Otherwise, just uh, try and uh, put ideas out there on the internet. Hope they connect with people. Try to say things I believe in. And every Friday night, try to cultivate this uh, hip-hop music thing with my friends. He's the founder of WBAI's Underground Railroad and Dell Doctrine. Uh, Jay Smooth, thank you so much for joining me on the library with Tawana and Kel on RapStation.com. Thank you. Peace to the whole Andrew Don't Stop Rap Station crew. Another young brother hit. I better go over my man's crib and get the pump. Cause till the cops shooting brothers is like playing baseball. And they're never in a slump. I guess when they shoot up for crew, it's a grand slam. And when it's one, it's a home run. But I'ma be ready with a wild pitch. My finger got a bad twitch. Plus I wanna switch side and step up to the batter's box. Fuck red and white. I got on black socks. But let him shoot a person from the White Sox. What's the call? Foul ball. Babe Ruth would have made a good cop, but he didn't. Instead, he was a bigot. Dig it. My life is valuable and I protect it like a gym. Instead of cops getting me, I'm going out getting them. And let him cough up blood like phlegm. It's grim. But dead is my antonym. And legally, they can't take a fall. Yo, check it out. It's just a friendly game of baseball. Just as bad as being shot in the groin To see who'll shoot ya They'll flip a coin And watch it run for the stretch But you don't know the man is at home waiting to make the catch So the outfielder guns you down You're out Off to the dugout underground I know a cop that's savage His pockets stay green like cabbage Cause he has a good batting average No questions Just pulls out the flamer And his excuses get lamer Once a brother tried to take a lead but they shot him in his face saying he was trying to steal a base. And people watched the news for coverage on the game and got the nerve to complain. They need to give themselves a front row seat or save the baseline for a beat. Because television just ain't designed for precision, y'all. It's just a friendly game of baseball. Oh, 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.